This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast, Christmas Memories. I'm Maurice O'Keefe, and over the years, uh, I've recorded people who had amazing Christmas stories. And looking through the archive this week, I decided on putting together a collection of memories and stories told by people like John B. Keane. And then as we grew older, you see, we became more mature than we'd spend uh, Christmas Day, maybe drinking Christmas evening if we were lifting to a pub, if we had the secret knock. Eamon Kelly. He tied his pony outside to a little lean-to shed that was the corner of the house, and he went in. And when he went in, the young woman of the house... She took up a cake of bread out of the oven. Dan Keane. And I got my hand into the top of the box and the first article I found told me something that I hadn't known before. And I wrote a verse and I entitled it Losing Santa. Nancy Price. At Christmas we only went wild and that was about the one night. The big beautiful supper Mother would put on the table. She'd had the tablecloth, mm. and the good wear would come down out of the room, so that was only kept for the station. Mick Minahan. But on Christmas, they'll always make off the town for Christmas. And Molly Welsh. He sang it every night every around night, ten. Around ten o'clock. Yes, around ten o'clock, and I grew up with it, you know. It is very, very old. So let's get started. My first visit is to the home of John B. Keane in Listowel. But the most magnificent yeah. day was always was Christmas. Mm-hmm. Because early in Christmas morning, I would have been, say, four or five this time, I would imagine. But we'd be battered fairly early. And then about seven o'clock in the evening, we'd get... Uh, not the Christmas presents. They wouldn't come till the following day. And they were very modest, I assure you. But... We used to get bottles of Nash's lemonade and Kelly cream, package of Kelly creams each, which was a fantastic treat altogether. But while we'd be indulged in this revelry, Knox would come to the door, and one of us would go out to see who was there. And generally speaking, it would be two or three shawled women. In at that time, I believe they were very, very old. You know, mm-hmm. I, I once said about the king, but they were old and they were wrinkled. 
and they were in their bare feet. I remember this well, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they'd come to the door looking for charity or arms, like we say, and they'd be brought in to the hallway and given a drop. My father, who was a school teacher, was a character, and he would know most of these women, having grown up with them in the town. The Cairns were in the town for at least, I think, 250 years, old family anyway. And he knew all these people and their backgrounds, and he knew what, he knew the history of poverty in the town, and he always made these people his own, as I still do, because they were great people, and they had great stories and great lingo. Yeah. Yep. And one kind of language was lingo, full of colour. And when you yeah. had them cussing to make the hair stand in your head, they had the most fantastic curses I ever listened to. And later, when I was through, I'd say, and used the cussing sounds of the thinkers, I'm sure you could trace it all back to them. <coughs> they really frightened you with the curses, you know. And, uh, and tell me about Christmas Day itself, then. How did you spend Christmas Day? Christmas Day... Uh, as a young lad, yeah, I would we'd go off in the morning after mass, hunting with a few dogs. We'd never catch anything. Maybe shooting now or no, 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 never. Yeah. No, we never yeah. used guns at him. So too many of us there, and uh, we'd go off and we'd spend the whole morning out anyway. And uh, when we got older, of course, we had cars. We'd go to Ballyburn and walk along the sea, or go up to Bale Strand, which was beautiful and still is. Which we come back to for the for the dinner, and after the dinner we go off again to Little Dark, and we'd visit friends and neighbours, and we'd call to see to, to the hospitals. We'd go back and sing for people, and then as we grew older, you see, we became more mature, and we'd spend uh, Christmas Day maybe drinking Christmas Eve than if we were lifting to a pub, if we had the secret knock, you know. What was the secret knock? The secret knock was. Uh, Three wraps and a fanlight, a pause, and two wraps. That was the knock at O'Grady's across the road from us. Mrs. O'Grady's, she she was a cousin of Brendan Kennelly. She was, her hus- husband had been a doctor in Bally Longford and he died. So she ran a public house there called Johnny's End, locally known as the convent, because uh, it was all women who lived there, her daughters and the two, the two retainers and herself, they were all females but it was a great place to go to. But anyway, to go back to the yes. younger time, I think, yes, which is yes. more important. Like, when we come in from our walks, anyway, we young, we'd have, we'd have a kind of a question time. And we play games, of course. John B. was always great at telling stories. And this was a Christmas story that he told me on that day that I was in Listowel 23 years ago. There was a man back that part of the world one time, I called him Noel. Mm-hmm. And... One day he was he was going with a nasting cat to the bog. It was before Christmas. This would be fifty years ago. And before Christmas, and the next thing was anyway, a lorry passed. It was one of Gallivan's lorries here in town. He was talking to the Gallivans about it afterwards. And didn't the lorry jump out, passing a humpback bridge, landed in the rushes at the side of the road, and was never noticed. Noel pulled in his donkey. He managed, with a great effort, to get the half tears into, into the dunk, into the donkey cart. Yeah. Went up along the passageway as far as he could into the bog, where there was stoolens of tough, huge stoolens of tough, and he took one of these apart. He put in his porter barrel into it, uh, raised about a foot from the ground. He'd have to tap it later, you see, and covered it over with tough so that no one knew 
what was behind it. And they, when he used to come home every day drunk for months afterwards, they couldn't figure out where he was getting the drink or where he was going. And uh, he'd cycled the town. And through the back ways of the town, which were labyrinthine at the time, he'd, he'd, he'd get out of town unseen. And he'd head for his, his, his own distillery, his own brewery. And he'd drink seven or eight pints there and come on home drunk. But I wrote a story about it, I called it the magic stool. The magic stool, and you see, he made the perfect stool. And there was an awful art in making stoolins. There were pony stoolins, and there were donkey stoolins, which were small enough stoolins. There were pony stoolins, midland stoolins, and there were hoss stoolins, which were fine stoolins. They'd be like small round ricks, really, the biggest stoolins for horses. And uh, the guys who, who, who made these, they'd, they'd, they'd take a few dollars for Christmas and flog them across in town and port them on the effort to buy the Christmas. But it was the turkeys that bought the Christmas, you know. Yeah. Turkey money and egg money, there was supposed to be a great look in it. They didn't ever bet anybody ill look, you know. And at the time, there was great store set by look and by blessings as well, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, as him and Kelly used to say, they'd go to the house that time and they'd say, God bless all he and bear the cat and the dog. <laughs> what the hell against the cat and the dog, I don't know, you know. Eamon Kelly was a good friend of John B.'s, and John B. arranged for me to meet him because he knew I would enjoy listening to his stories. And here's one of those stories that I recorded called The Tay Man. In the old days, <coughs> when tea came to Ireland, you know, uh, um, at first it wasn't sold in the shops. It was a rather rare commodity. And people, uh, men went around in kind of ponies and traps and they had a thing at the back of the trap and they sold the tea at the houses and they were called tay men. And uh, the, there is a, a lane where in Listowel called Tay Lane. And uh, it, it, I, I was passing down there recently and I, I saw it written up T-E-A Lane. But people, didn't, people never said, said T uh, because, the, the, uh, but matter of fact, that, that's a very old pronunciation, Tay, for, for, that, for that sound. The, for, for like, you know, mean is main. Like which is like the main road to cart the nearer it gets to cart the main road it gets, but uh, <laughs> the, the the there was this tayman who put up one night in a one-roomed house with a husband and wife in which there was only the one bed, and you did have houses like that in the old days in Ireland, and he wouldn't have put up there at all, but the weather got so bad that he tied his pony outside to a little lean to shed that was the corner of the house, and he went in. And when he went in, the young woman of the house, she took up a cake of bread out of the oven, and she brought it across the kitchen. And, oh, the lovely aroma from the freshly baked bread. And the tame man, you could see his nose twitching, and you could know by him that his teeth were swimming inside in his mouth with a longing for it. And she, seeing the hungry look on his face, she was about to break a piece of the cake and give it to him. And the husband said, no, you'll only ruin that cake if you break it while it's hot. Can't you wait till morning like the rest of us? Well, that's that. There's no good in going out with the cranky husband. They said they all got into the one bed. They knelt down and said their prayers. And God knows, and that bed was not enough too. So the wife got in near the wall, and the husband got next to the wife. And then he got in on the outside. And when one of them turned, 
They'd all have to turn. In the course of the night, the husband, who had to go out, he suffered from a little frequency that runs in families, and he, um, <laughs> he'd bring the wife out with him because he didn't want to leave the wife in the bed with the tame man. Mm. So when, after a while, she kicked up, you know. She didn't want to go out anymore because, moreover, she said herself, when she didn't have occasion to go out, what she didn't go out for? Uh, so then what he used to do was lift up the big heavy cradle with an 18-month-old child inside it and put it on the bed between his wife and the tame And then he'd go off out into the yard and he'd come back after shedding the tear for Parnell. He'd um, get, take the big cradle out of the bed and the night he had lifting the cradle out of the bed and putting it back into the bed and everything was fine at 4 o'clock in the morning the storm rose and the, the shed... The roof was blowing off the shed at the corner of the house, and the husband got very excited. The husband too, when they heard the storm, and he ran out. He ran out to, to, to stop the to, to, to stop the storm. And when he was gone, the, the, the wife she turned to the tame and she said, "Now's your chance." He got up and ate the cake. And before we leave John B, we just re- return again for a moment and listen to John B in this clip. Tell us how important it is uh, in the style that you write in and the success of his writings was in the rhythm that he used in in telling the story it was it was originally a playlet it was a poet first put in and because it was a poet and playlet i used to read uh, lines as if they were readable there's a rhythm in every line i'm not talking about scansion rhythms no renting night like or scanning lines these lines had natural rhythms in themselves Mm-hmm. And each writer has a different rhythm, a different style, and I had my own rhythm. And I found that by saying the thing to myself, I'd get my rhythm. And the same thing applies in my stories, because it, it's it's an inheritance from the plays where you have to be very accurate about lines, you know. And um, I, I'd say these lines to myself when I'd be writing them, and if I was reading back after, if I'd be correcting, I would. Um, state out the lines and if they didn't work I'd clip and chop it and there the lines sounded perfectly and it, if it's always worth a fellow's while especially with Dickens who had long sentences to take your time reading it until you got his rhythm yes it has to Dickens had a marvellous rhythm and it was as accurate as, as I am with Pentameter you know yeah, yeah. except in Lent or, 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 or in the, the division of the, of the, of the feet it was, it was, it was, Dickens' stuff was beautiful writing. You don't find it so much in other writers, you see, but Dickens created very quickly, and the rhythms came with it. And when you have a rhythm, you create quickly. But, um, and a turn of phrase? A turn of phrase is, is uh, a turn of, it's handy for a sense of humour for a turn of phrase. You'll always get a very, uh, very, very entertaining turn of phrase if you have a sense of humour. And if you listen, I've been listening all my... The most beautiful lines I ever heard. I know that I said this on air before or not. A very short line, a fact, one, one long line. And it was when Dan Paddy Andy was dying in Larricombe Park. And every every day, his barber, he was the barber to Dan Paddy Andy, which he said was the biggest boast you could have. Uh, he would come every couple of weeks to give Dan a, a clip. And he came one day and he went, he says, Christ, he says, Dan, there's two black cuddles after appearing on the back of your pole. And all his life, Dan had been 
courting, a trying to court a girl called Kate Ganey, who he later married. Do you see them cuddles, Sweeney, he said? Them are the very same cuddles, he said, that brought the Ganey one down from her perch. But this line was, for its natural beauty, was unique. It's, it's, it is, still to my mind, it's still the best line I have ever heard in the English language. Well, I can remember several Christmases. Dan Keane from North Kerry is a storyteller, he's a, a writer, a poet, and the one house that I enjoyed visiting the most was Dan Keane's house in my van out in North Kerry. But to give an indication of two I remember, and I remember the two because I remember the first, and I was a bit curious. My mother died when I was only 10, and I know she was sick for well over a year, so I must have been very young when this happened. And it spotted that one Christmas, she came from the store, she took a box up in the room and put it under her own bed. I didn't see any more of it, it was covered with a valance in the bed. But the following Christmas, I noticed she brought a box the same size and put it in the same place. My curiosity put me exploring and I watched my chance until I stole up in the room and under the bed and in the darkness I couldn't see but I could feel and I got my hand into the top of the box and the first tactical I found told me something that I hadn't known before and I wrote a verse and I entitled it Losing Santa. And like I said to a child after, when they asked me why did I lose Santa, well I said that proves you shouldn't be doing things that you're not supposed to do. And that's why you lose Santa. But anyhow, I put it into verse. And I'll give you an idea of the verse now if I can get it all in. Twas the holy time of Christmas in the lovely long ago. With the candles on the windows pouring out their gentle glow. And the supper so delicious that a loving mother spread and the grace before and after that so faithfully she said. There were garlands gay and coloured that stirred in every breeze and the cards so full of greetings from at home and o'er the seas. There the holly hung in honour round the crib so proudly showed on the shimmery breast the motto that said, God bless our home. The washing up was rapid, for Santa Claus was due. And our childish minds there wondered, how old mother always knew. The alarm it would signal that Santa's work was done. Then we rushed to find out presents, and our hearts were full of fun. Such Christmases were many, but my mind more curious grew. And I always kept observing the things my mother used to do. She pushed the box beneath her bed. That moment that it came, I spotted every Christmas. She used to do the very same. I stole into the bedroom and in silence closed the door. I crept inside the valance, my mission to explore. Then poking in the darkness, 
I found life as it was. I was wiser, sadly wiser, for I lost my Santa Claus. Christmas cake, she'd get up at six o'clock in the morning with my brother Eddie. He was the pet, he was the oldest. Nancy Price was a well-known storyteller who lived in Kenmare. And I remember way back in 1997, visiting Nancy and recording some of her Christmas stories. And they'd be baking here and she'd have them lined in the big dresser over there. Oh, the gingerbread, corny bread, seed bread. I didn't particularly like those. They were caraway seeds or something. And the roasting was lovely. She'd put the leg of lamb into that same oven as the cake mm-hmm. the next day when we would have a leg of mutton. And, I mean, the juice, the, the everything stayed inside in that oven. Like, none of the aroma or the smell. All those smells lingered in the kitchen, if you like. You would have to nearly live through it to realise how wonderful it was. I mean, people will say, no, what was wonderful about going hungry? The reward of coming into those... You, you see, what we got was so good, the potatoes, and yeah. we'd bake for four, four months of the year. My father would kill a couple of sheep or someone would kill them for him. You'd eat as much as you could, fresh, and then they'd pick it in a snow-white enamel bucket or tomb, and this white... They were very clean, this lovely white thing down it, and then the big stone to bring up the, the, the pickle. Yes. And that would make gorgeous cabbage, but you would be drinking. That's why we all had beautiful teeth 50, 60 years ago. Because you drank water all evening from the pickle. Was, the bacon was poison with salt. Mm. The bit of mutton was, had a share of salt. And we all drank jog after jog of water in the evenings. Mm. Christmas we only went wild. and That was about the one night. The big, beautiful supper Mother would put on the table. She had the tablecloth. Mm. The good wear would come down out of the room. That was only kept for the station. And you could go into the jam pot as much as you like that night. When she'd buy us a pot of jam before, you'd only kind of, you'd have to watch your turn around. It'd only be the, only be the smaller pot, but you'd have to watch, you see, would there be enough to go around? And the white loaf would be brought the odd night time when she'd come from the fair. But Christmas night, everything would be put on the table, boiled eggs, two if you wanted them, two different crocks of jam, as we called it, the strawberry and maybe the marmalade, or maybe a tin of golden syrup. And in the commotion, would forget to wind it, not whip it along the tablecloth and hit the next fillers, whatever. <gasps> but we'd eat the cornbread, the cornbrack, the butter loaf, and the seed cut. They were the length of the table, the three of them nearly when they were put together. <laughs> and her own home cornbread bread and red lemonade, I'd swear they made it out of turnips. You would have a moustache after it would go up here, would be drink it out of the bottle and it would flow up over the lips. Oh, you'd eat till you'd bushed. <laughs> and then the turkey stuffing would be made and we'd all go to midnight mass. My father wouldn't go. My father was delicate. He pretended he'd be. He'd go in the morning. I think he'd little calls maybe to make in the morning. He'd get little sups. He'd call to the neighbours. There was a little drop to be had. But they were all peak days. Birthdays came and went. There was nothing. No birthday party. All the children and grandchildren have birthday parties now. But Holy Communion, a beautiful day. Confirmation, never forgotten, beautiful day. Um, and Christmas Day. They were all they special were occasions. They were all special yeah. occasions, in our house anyway. That yeah. and the Cayley dancing and the storytelling and the fairy stories. You would always go once a week with the butter, you see. Make the butter. You yeah. take the butter to the shop. Well, that would be alone with your bed. Another great memory is visiting Minard out in West Kerry, to the home of Mick Minahan. Mick was uh, a sheep farmer all his life. 
never left the place and recalls many stories relating to Christmas. Without Christmas, they'll always make up the town for Christmas. And they'll bring... And they'll find you that they won't be shot for Christmas. They never was hungry any year, though. And when you say town, into Tralee, was it? Or no, out, to Dingle. Out to Dingle. Dingle, Dingle was, was, that's yeah. where all the, the shopping was done. That's where those go, I was for the shopping here from here to Dingle. 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 And that would have been by Horse and Trap, would it? Aye. Horse and Trap. Right, for that Horse and Trap. There was no such thing as a trap. Oh, was I don't mind do a trap, but I trap to the car that time. Hassan car was a, and a young queen car was a boy, yeah. Yeah. A young queen car was So a, I suppose it was a whole day, was it, uh, Mick, to get out there? and? Oh, that's uh, like after the morning early for that Christmas, and go, to be late for that come home, that have a few jars, and <laughs> that was the only time that I would do it in the year. Uh, and they'd stock up well, would they, for Christmas? Yeah. Oh, they'd always stock up well for Christmas. They went over shot. Well, looking forward Christmas night to the ling, the ling fish. Christmas night they'd have the ling. And then Christmas day they'd have the... Well, so that was a ghost that have that time, like, you see. A ghost. And the turkeys were so dear for them at the time, you see, the ghost there. Oh, I see. And and the, they used to eat the the uh, the ling uh, fish as well. Was oh, it, yeah. well, it was for the Christmas, Christmas Eve. They'd have the, the ling fish, the ling fish. Ling fish was a, was a common thing, yeah. He sang it every night every around night, 10. Around 10 o'clock. Yes, around 10 o'clock. And I grew up with it, you know. It is very, very old. My final visit is to the home of Molly Welsh, who grew up in Ballinskelligs and she had a passion and a love for the old songs and she collected them all her life. And yeah. you're 87 now. I'm 87, yeah, but so. I always remember this, you know. Yeah. And that she, that she, it was a part of Christmas. The first joy our blessed lady had it was the joy of one, it was the joy of her young son, when he was born man, and sing hallelujah, and sing hallelujah, and sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. <coughs> the second joy our blessed lady had, it was the joy of two. It was the joy of her young son when he was going to school. And sing hallelujah. And sing hallelujah, and sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. The third joy our blessed lady had, 
It was the joy of three. It was the joy of her young son when he made the blind to see and sing hallelujah and sing hallelujah sing hallelujah sing hallelujah sing Blessed Lady, it was the joy of a four. It was the joy of her young son when he preached from shore to shore and sing hallelujah and sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. The fifth joy our blessed lady had, it was the joy of a five. It was the joy of her young son when he rose the dead to life. Sing hallelujah and sing hallelujah sing hallelujah sing hallelujah sing hallelujah the sixth joy our blessed lady had it was the joy of sea it was the joy of her young son when he was crucifixed and sing hallelujah and sing hallelujah sing hallelujah sing hallelujah sing The seventh joy our blessed lady had. It was the joy of seven. It was the joy of her young son when he was crowned in heaven. And sing hallelujah. And sing hallelujah. Sing Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. And whoever will sing those seven verses in the honor of our blessed lady at the rising of the sun, at the dawning of the day, playing merrily on the organ. We'll sing in heaven all day and sing hallelujah and sing hallelujah and sing hallelujah sing hallelujah sing hallelujah. 
and the sparkling fire there behind us and and just watching you there now in your rocking chair going back and forth and <laughs> <know>. singing <laughs> and the sparks coming from the fire and, and Jack is poking up the fire there now keeping oh, yeah. it going <laughs> too much fire we have I like coolness Mm, but I'm sure that brings me. Do you know I think the stuff did maybe too good? It wanted that. You see, we had no Santa Claus. It was always uh, around the birth of the, the child, you know, the the the, babe, the infant. That we, was the was... Christmas we had. Yeah. And I remember one time <laughs> somebody told us that there was such a man as Santa Claus. And if you hang, hung up your sock, you know, your stocking, he put something into it. So I remember one Christmas anyway, I hung up, I hung up my stocking. And if I did, it was as limp as ever in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but there was, a, there was a, a, a child over the road from me, and he had an older brother. And this fellow, he hung up his stocking like I did, and the older brother put a sort of turf into it. <laughs> Mm. You just maybe you get an orange or an apple or sweets or something, but there was no such thing as Santi. Everything was centered on the birth of the, the child at midnight. There was a different meaning. It was more Christmassy, really. You know, when mm. you come to think of it, yeah. We've come to the end of this week's special podcast on Christmas memories and stories. I hope you've enjoyed listening to these people who have all passed away at this stage but their memories and stories live on and you can listen to the full interviews of Eamon Kelly John B. Keane Dan Keane Nancy Price, Mick Moynihan or Molly Welsh and they're all on our website. All you've got to do is go to irishlifeandlore.com and you'll find them there. My name is Maurice O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.